Going Linux, episode 445, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, you can always email us at goinglinux at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at one nine zero four. Four six eight seven eight eight nine. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hello, Larry. Hello, Bill. <laughs> Thought I'd beat you to the punch that time. Yeah. So, how you been doing? Good. Uh, let's see. Uh, quick weather report is finally cooling off. We were out of the hunt, the triple digits, and I'm very happy about that. Um. Kids are back in school. Roads are busier. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, weather report here. Still in triple digits. Wish it would go away. It will soon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've got lots of feedback this time around. Uh, and I have to say it's mostly from Sean. <laughs> he sent us a series of... Uh, voicemails that we've been collecting over the past month or two. And, um, yeah, we've got a five part series. Actually, what, what did he say? So it went to part three and then he added a PS and then there was a follow on with one more thing. And then we have a separate message that, that he left just for Bill. So why don't we start with those and we'll make comments on each of these parts as we play them how's that yeah I, I i listened to all of these and um then read through the transcripts of them and uh i think that we both kind of pulled out some of the main topic ideas that he's wanting to discuss so um i think we should okay. go ahead and listen to the first part part one of six and go from there yep sounds good Aloha from Utah, Larry and Bill. This is your number one pandentic minion, Sean NZ17 Robinson, with another enthralling voicemail message, or possibly dull depending upon your interest, but let's just pretend it's awesome. Anyway, I uh, listened to your recent episode, and I have to say that I have a few things that I'd like to mention. First of all, Larry... Would you mind going and posting the show notes alongside the episode's audio when you post them to the Internet Archive? I like downloading your episodes from the Archive. However, there's no notes alongside them, so it's just a basic page with the MP3 and the Vorbis file and whatever else is generated by the Internet Archive automatically, um, which is good. However, um, it'd also be nice to have the show notes, um, even if it's just a simple copy and paste of the text, as sometimes, especially when I'm using older web browsers that can't go to the Going Linux website because of its current website certificate, so the old browsers don't trust the new cert, so the 
SSL TLS connection fails. I go to the Internet Archive to download the episodes, and, well, there's no show notes there. And the actual show notes page is just one long, seemingly endless web page of notes for dozens or hundreds of episodes. Um, so it can be a bit unwieldy for slow CPUs or machines with small amounts of memory to render. So, anyways, long long uh, message about that short. Please post show notes to your Internet Archive file postings of the episodes. Thanks. Anyway, back to the topic of the episode, which is applications. And so, a few things. One, um, the Blender application, which most people know for 3D animations, and a few people know can actually be used to make computer games, can also be used for video editing. So there's another option for anyone interested in that, especially those that already know how to use Blender. Um, another option, audio players. You guys mentioned uh, VLC and how there's some uh, audio slash music players for the command line. And a few that I've tried and that I would recommend is VLC's various command line or terminal interfaces. One of them is NCurses based, so it's more like a GUI application where you can use like arrow keys and other shortcut keys like you used to in media players. Okay, Sean, um, your idea of posting the show notes in Internet Archive, I haven't thought about doing that. What I have thought about doing is putting our website in more of a blog format where each episode has its own uh, page so that you don't have the issue that you have with slower computers not being very quick about rendering the very long show notes page. So uh, let me take a look at how much work it would be to put the show notes in the Internet Archive. It's just one additional copy and paste, I think, when I post the episodes there. But we'll take that under advisement and see what we can do. Uh, certainly, revamping the entire website is a lot more work than copy and paste every time we have an episode. So we'll we'll take a look at that. Didn't you hand code this, the, our website, to be... Uh, I thought you had done it hand-coded to make it so it was a lot faster, not a lot of bloat. I did. I yeah, I took I took out a lot of stuff, uh, but as it turns out, the show notes page um, contains all of the show notes. I think back to episode one. Oh, well, and okay. it's all one big long list. Yeah, so each, I, I can uh, see where show notes a section. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, for modern computers, that's not a problem, but for older computers or where you have a Slow internet connection, that can be a problem. So we'll take a look at finding a way to make that better one way or another. And if that is posting the show notes to the, for each episode to the internet archive, so be it. Okay. That's a, that's a good idea, good idea anyway to have them archived up there. Mm -hmm. So, all right. He also mentioned something about Blender being used to make computer games. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's 3D animation, and not only can you make movies, you can make make video games, apparently. So, uh, or 
computer games, if you want to call them that. But either way, uh, that's an interesting use. I think they are, there are some people that use Blender in some of the bigger studios for, like, uh, rendering certain uh, scenes or something. I'm not quite sure. I know it's powerful enough, but uh, I know I've heard that some of the, like, uh, movie studios uh, were using it for something. I don't know how true yeah. that is or not, because, you know, they have some pro tools that uh, I think would probably be better, but... Is is because it's just made to do one thing. It's it's super expensive, mm-hmm. so I can see them trying to use Blender if they don't have to buy a license. Yeah, yeah, and you know, splitting up the work. I'm sure that if you split it up to several computers running Blender, it's a lot less expensive, or or just the distribution of work you can get through it a lot quicker than trying to do it all in one monolithic program on a super expensive Mac computer or something like that. But uh, the other thing Sean goes uh, to talk about in this particular uh, segment here is the use of command line for doing some of this work. Uh, And he mentions that Blender has command line, VLC has a command line, and we'll see in some of the other voicemails that he leaves, he talks a lot about the command line. And I just want to give a definition of a term that some of our audience may not have come across. So if you're new to Linux or new to command line, you may see that the term ncurses is used. And that is a way on a text-based terminal of giving you a graphical way of interacting with the program from the terminal. So it's not exactly command line when you're using the ncurses interface but it is terminal-based. So that's what he means when he says end curses. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I know we don't uh, do a lot with uh, the terminal or command line because we're, we're kind of aimed at the new user. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whereas sometimes you can do things a lot faster via the command line, I find that I just use the GUI, and that's and you'll hear that term. And just to explain that, that's a uh, graphical user interface, just like Windows or Mate or um, or any of the others. KDE. It's the interface that you use to use to get things done on the computer. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I don't think that's something that. Uh, someone moving straight from Windows to Linux is totally interested in. Basically, they want to be able to do their daily work and get it done. You know, a lot of times people will start picking up some command lines. Some people will find, oh, I kind of like this. But Mm -hmm. as a general rule, I, you know, I think we try to stay away from the command line because it is uh, the command line is super powerful, and it can it can do a lot of stuff really quickly. But it's not necessary to get things done. It's something they can explore on their own. Right. Yeah. Especially since we're focused mainly on the new user, but there are some very powerful uh, programs that only run from the command line that we could talk about. So. As we go along, maybe we'll include some of those in some of the 
some of the episodes we have, but uh, I wouldn't hold your breath waiting for them. Uh, we'll we'll talk about them as we run across them and find them interesting to talk about. And specifically, if we think they might have some value for a new user. Yeah, and I just want to uh, clarify. When we say new user, we also mean just regular users too. Uh, someone yeah. that's... Uh, been using Linux, but it's just, you know, wants to see if there's something better they can use. So we're, we're more geared to just the new user, normal user, if there is one of a Linux normal user, but, um, just people that want to use it to get things done as far as with their work or play a game or, uh, watch a movie. Right. That's what we're trying to do is to get them to use Linux. And the definition, our definition of a new user isn't necessarily somebody who's new to computing. It could be somebody who's been using, uh, Windows for 10 or 15 years and is fed up of all the hassle you have to go through to install things and to keep it secure and to reboot every time something happens. Uh, and try to find drivers for things and not sure whether or not it's safe when you download it. All that stuff goes away when you switch to Linux. And our objective here for that kind of a user is to show how easy it is to switch, how similar it is in some ways, and how different it is in terms of your experience because you don't have a lot of those hassles. So that's uh, that's what we define as a new user. And whether you're switching from Windows, which has been around a long time, the Mac, which also has been around time, uh, around a long time, or from something like Chrome OS, if you're moving from school and your school forced Chrome on you, and you found that it was not, uh, you know, a full fledged operating system in the same sense that Mac, Windows, and Linux are, then moving to Linux might be a good option for you. All right. Let's move on to part two. Let's listen to Sean's next section here. Okay. Part two. VLC has both this NCurses-based interface as well as a command line, like a true command line, one command at a time at bash or whatever shell you're using for your command line. Both of these are good. Um Another one that I like to use, which has both GUI and command line interfaces, is Timidity, the MIDI music player. So if anyone likes sequencer music, like you used to have with computer games 30 years ago, um, or even fresh music from today, uh, Timidity is really good for playing MIDI formatted music. And it has a um, TK user interface, uh, GTK, I believe. Another one is um, a curses-based interface, um, command line, even a dumb interface where you just start it up and it plays whatever you told it to. Um, so those are good. And another one is MPD, which I believe is the music player daemon or daemon. Um, and that's just a daemon or daemon, though. You might want to use M, music player command. That's for the command line. Uh, it's included with Debian Linux. And there's another one called NCMPC, which I believe uses the NCurses library for a graphical user interface at the command line. And uh, these are really good, especially because 
when you quit the client, the daemon will keep playing the music in the background if that's what you want. So you can just have it playing music back there without you having to pay attention or spend the resources on it. Um, anyways, other than that, uh, I'd really like it if you guys could perhaps spend some time reviewing some command line programs, preferably with Curse's uh, user interfaces, as I find that's an excellent combination of being resource light and still being user friendly, because you still get a GUI, it's just made out of, you know, ASCII text characters or uh, colored rectangles or whatever. So it's it's uh, intuitive for those used to using arrow keys and the enter or return key and other shortcuts like that without having to be as basic as, hey, here's a command line tool, read the manual or info page to figure out all the command arguments. For the part two, he, he would mention that uh, VLC uh, has, like, the NCURSES-based interface. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the... Uh... The, am I, am I thinking of the same program? I, I haven't used VLC. Is that's the one that you can pretty much throw any video audio file at and it will play it. Yep. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. Just checking because I was like, is there another VLC? Uh, I don't remember it ever having a Ancurses based interface. So <laughs> shows you how much I pay attention. Well, and of course, VLC, uh, underneath the hood is using a lot of, command line audio and video processing that is native to Linux as well. So you could go even deeper if you want to use the command line and bypass VLC altogether and do this stuff for yourself using those tools. Uh, but eventually you're going to want to automate some of the commands from each of those tools. And eventually you'll find yourself, if not duplicating, then, uh, May, having some redundant functionality in that automation that's already built into VLC. And yeah, so it, again, some of this stuff you could go so deep that you would not want to be a new user and even think about it. <laughs> and VLC has the NCURSES interface to allow you to do this from a terminal, which you can do if you want to. And if you want to use a graphical user interface, it has that as well. Yeah, I do uh, want to point out he was he in one of his uh, statements he was going, uh, you know, telling that like MPD, which he believes is the music player. He goes Damon or mm -hmm. Demon. It is Damon, mm -hmm. but I like Demon better. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason. Uh, only reason I know that is that um, FreeBSD has the little devil thing a little cute devil i think that yep. and uh, and it's it's daemon so daemon is a basically a process <laughs> so right. that, but the de but i like demon too so i think demon it should be called demon because some of the times it can be demons and i don't know about you but i've never heard of ncpmc uh maybe because we're not in the command line a lot yeah i Never heard in CMPC. Then again, <laughs> there's a lot of things I haven't heard of. All I know is, um, I throw, I, I download VLC when I need it and throw, and just use the graphical interface and let all that magic happen behind the scenes. 
Mm-hmm. That's that, that's my way of computing. Uh, I don't need to know all the different things. I mean, I know some people like to dig in. Oh, it uses this part and this part. I'm like, if it works, it gets. I can get my stuff done. I'm good. <laughs> okay, so part three is on computer games. So let's oh. listen to what Sean has to say about that and a particular computer game called Icebreaker. Here we go. Part three. Anyway, Bill, you were talking about computer games. And uh, one of my favorite computer games for Linux is called Icebreaker. It's a game featuring a bunch of penguins on a grid-shaped play field. The play field gets divided every time that the player clicks somewhere, subdividing and subdividing into smaller squares. Meanwhile, penguins are skating across the ice, and if they touch a wall that's currently forming to divide the playfield, it will break that half of the wall that the penguin collides with. This is based on an older, famous computer game. Um, however, my mind is blanking on that old computer game's name. Anyways, it's a classic form of gameplay, a classic gameplay genre, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's free Libre open source software. It's resource light. It's included with most Linux distributions that include games, as far as I know. Um, it's charming. It's simple. It can be enjoyed by anyone of any age, basically. Uh, and it's an excellent uh, time waster for when you've got uh, to wait for something. Or if you're just playing something for fun, or heck, you even have a file downloading and you've got a minute or two. Anyway, it's an excellent game. It keeps track of your high scores, and um, I think they even have a client for Windows, if anyone still uses that operating system series. Well, I think that's been just about enough for this voicemail. Um, hopefully, you guys can um, perhaps, I don't know, review a few email clients. I know I like that clause mail client. I haven't used it for years. It was good, though. I generally just stay with an older Thunderbird client that I like well. You know how it is at Mozilla. They're always making changes and cutting out useful features and changing the UI and icons. If I say if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. You'll probably just make it worse. Um, right. So um, I guess everyone take care. Thank you for the episodes. I look forward to the next episode of Going Linux. Hopefully we won't have such big breaks between episodes next time. Um, so from your number one pandantic minion, this is NZ17 saying aloha from Utah. Okay. Well, thanks for describing how Icebreaker works. Uh, Bill, as the resident gamer between the two of us, have you even heard of icebreaker have you played it i have anything about it okay and? i think i i think i played that thing uh, the, uh it's been around for a while if if i'm thinking of the right one um it has the little penguins and um let me think here it's been a while so uh it i know it was a, a charming little game but uh it was not exactly uh, to my taste. I, I preferred a little bit more uh, uh, depth, but it's cute. Uh, you, 
you have the penguins and you have to get them, I think, across an iceberg or, or something like that. It's, like I said, it's been years since I've played it, but it's cute. Uh, you definitely, uh, uh, small children would have a great time with it. Or if you're just sitting there, just want to, you know, chill, uh, and just, you know, mindlessly play a game, it, it can be fun and distracting. So, uh, yeah, I've played it, I believe it, cause there's several different ones. There's one, uh, that you actually, uh, I know it's not this, it's, uh, where the penguin of, of you know, taking down a slalom and uh I know there's open bubble and stuff like that. So there's a lot of games. I wouldn't call them uh triple A games uh, you know compared to like some of the games that uh I like to play. But uh they are good and they're built in and and they're made with love. So, you know, you can't really Yeah. You really can't uh go wrong and the price is right and uh you can tell that whoever made them uh, put put some uh, love and attention into them. So, yeah, it, it, and they're maintaining them still. So, can't really complain. <laughs> yeah, so sounds like kind of one of those mindless time waster kind of games, which I like those. <laughs> you would. <laughs> yeah. I get bored of them very quickly. I need uh, something more... Uh, I guess uh action packed but it- yeah yeah i i when it, the rare times that i game I, I definitely prefer the action type things but i'll tell you every once in a while if i have 5 minutes to spare uh i find myself gravitating towards this kind of a time waster it's called solitaire <laughs> Uh, that's a little too but pedantic for me. <laughs> but you know, he, when he says it's a grid, it has a grid-shaped play field. I wonder if it, we're thinking mm-hmm. about the same game. I'm gonna now have to go look in <laughs> the repositories yeah. and download it to see if this is the same game I played a long time ago. But well, thanks, Sean. I, now, now you made me, you put me to work. Jeez. Yep, yep. Now you did it. Now you did it. We're going to have a game <laughs> review next time. Anyway. <laughs> All about Icebreaker. Yes, there you go. Uh, okay, so he also in that one mentioned about email clients. He mentioned Clause Mail and Thunderbird, um, other Mozilla-related things. And, you know, there are a number of email clients you can use, of course, uh, the one that comes with most of the Ubuntu-based distributions is something called Evolution these days. Uh, and Thunderbird was popular amongst all Linux distributions at one time or another in the history of Linux. So most people who have been on Linux for a while will certainly know Thunderbird. Clause Mail seems to me, I've tried that out. Uh, it seems very old and creaky to me, but hey, I'm sure it works. Uh, so lots of choices. So we're not going to get into that too much, but yes, there are incursus based email clients and even just plain old text based email clients for the command line. So, uh, lots, lots and lots and lots of choices. And we could spend more than one episode just reviewing email clients. So I, I want to, uh, make a, uh, statement on this the email clients uh where he 
he did point out some good in curses based in there's Thunderbird and etc. Um, but with with everybody carrying a smartphone, uh, the email clients aren't as um, I'm not saying it's for the better, or but the email clients are now web based because uh, yeah. everybody wants to keep keep track of all their. Uh, email throughout the day and not just at their computer. And I'm sure you can install something on your phone if you want. Um, but I found that most people, when you ask what their email address is, you remember when it first started, the internet service provider would give you a email address. And that yes. was your email address. Now, uh, you've got, uh, um, you've got MS, uh, well, I have an MSN and a Gmail, uh, and I have one for work too. But they're all, but they're all web-based, so I can look at them um, while I'm at work or I'm at, with some friends, or whatever. So I don't know if mm-hmm. email um, uh, clients are as big as they used to be. They do have a place for people that don't want to have their data stored on, you know, the big companies or everything like that, but it, it, I don't think it's as prevalent as it used to be of having a uh, email just uh, set up. I mean, you know, there's got the, it has to support pop and has to do all this. So that's why I think you think Claws feels a little creaky, I think you said. Creaky. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I it used to be email thing was big, but now I see most people just use the web based. I'm not saying it's a better alternative. I'm just saying that's where the thing, the seems like the technology has went. Yeah, it's more convenient for sure. And as you know, we have an, uh, a Gmail account here, and it's I check it using. Um, Using the web, even when I'm sitting at my computer, I don't go through the routine of starting up a a, 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 a client based in Linux and having it download in the background the emails so that I can read it. It's just faster and easier to just open up a browser, click on the shortcut to Gmail and go read it and respond and be done with it, you know? And yeah. the same thing with the phone. You can have that exact same experience on the phone, and I do. Yeah, I do a lot of of, of work on my phone um, mm-hmm. just because it's always with me. Um, yep. So I think that's kind of t- taken away some of the uh, things that you would do in email. You remember you used to be able to type it out and save it, and you can do all that on the web now um but it's nice that you have options if you want to if you still want a traditional um email client you can do it you can set it up where it will work with the web-based services it's just but with regular users i mean uh i know i don't have any any confidential or anything uh emails that i really care if anybody sees but if you do, then of course you'd probably go with the one where it's, it can only be downloaded on your machine. You don't use a web base. So there's, yeah. there's use cases, but most normal people, especially coming from other operating systems, are just going to continue using 
the web-based. I've I was actually helping a an older gentleman at work because um, they use um, uh, we use. 365 Microsoft 365 for work and right. it's a special hospital edition you know it has to meet all the HIPAA stuff and uh, basically he just he just you know he had a hard time just figuring out how to check his email and once we showed him he said oh okay it's just like home yeah it's just like home so I think these the, it's trained people to just use the web based uh, yeah. Whether it's self-hosted, like in big corporations or by big companies. So, yeah, you kind of you have to give and take. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I've run <laughs> both ways. And uh, like you, I pretty much just pop open my uh, Gmail or MSN or my work email web-based and go from there. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, well, uh, enough on that, I think. Uh, yeah, and although, Sorry. yeah, uh, although Sean said that that was the end of his message, he couldn't resist. He had a PS. Let's oh. listen to that. PS. Uh, okay, I guess that was almost the entire thing. Two things. One, I would like to humbly request that you guys review some live USB Linux distributions, preferably ones that keep a persistent home directory or persistent installed applications. I've been using an older distribution of Puppy Linux recently, and it's good. However, perhaps it's just too old of a Puppy Linux distribution because the persistent home directory and installed apps feature is just not quite there. Um, So that's... uh, I've, I've tried the Debian Live USB, but that was like 10 years ago, so I'm not sure how good that is these days. As some live distributions will run from CD or DVD or USB, and they don't have a persistent directory, and some have a persistent home directory or root directory, uh, and, and it maps the file systems and layers to integrate what's included with the pre-built distribution image as well as anything you've installed or downloaded. Um, some will run the pre-built part from USB or CD, and uh, some will uh, have the live directory on the CD or DVD if it's rewritable or USB. Um, others will keep it all on one medium, so like everything on the DVD or everything on a USB drive. Anyways, there's a lot of options out there, so I'd like a little uh, insight and guidance about this topic, if you would. So he said he would like us to review some live Linux distribution, USB live. Uh, right. And I know Ubuntu has it a, or they used to, I haven't used a live USB pers- with persistence for a while, but I believe Ubuntu, you can make it like that. Um, but that's the only one I really know of. That's the only one I've really used. How about you? Yeah, I've used Puppy Linux, and they have a, a version where you can, you know, put it on the on the USB stick as a live distribution of of Linux, and have it remember your saved data 
whether that's email or whether that's something else you've done. So basically you're running it from a USB stick uh, as though it were installed there, even though it's a live version. Uh, and I have actually, for some lightweight distributions, um, gone and downloaded the installation image and installed it on a large USB. I have a USB stick that's, I think, 128 gigabytes, and there's enough space on there to install a full Linux distribution and use it just like you would uh, a regular installation as though that USB stick were a hard drive. Now, there are some disadvantages to doing that. USB sticks are not meant to be used in that way, and so they might die earlier than... Uh, a regular SSD drive or even solid state M2, I think it is, drive, whatever that is. And so you've got to be a little bit careful that your, your whole, you know, Linux may go away as the USB drive dies, but it's, it's a handy way of being able to carry your computer around in your pocket. You know, in, in something that's the size of a USB stick. Uh, so that's one way of doing it rather than even do use the, the live USB stick with persistence, which is the equivalent of this. Just get a big enough, um, USB drive and install it on there. So yeah, give it a try. USBs have dropped in price, uh, quite a bit. I mean, I've, I think the smallest one I have is a 64, but I just bought a 128 gigabyte one. Uh, from ScanDisk, uh, one of the mm-hmm. better ones, and I think I only paid like twenty bucks for it. So, yeah, you can get some some really large size ones for a decent price now, decent compared to what it was when, when they first started making them. You know, remember uh, back in the day when you'd go and they'd say, "Here's a USB with all my stuff on it," and it's like, "Great, I got a free USB," and oh, it's two gigabytes or. Oh, wow, now it's like two gigabytes. I'm like, really? What am I going to do with two yeah. gigabytes? <laughs> yeah, you you can't even put a live uh, distribution of Linux on there. <laughs> you, can't, yeah, so. you can't burn it to that. It's not big enough. No, yeah. it's like, why are you cheaping out all these? Get some better ones, you know. But no, seriously, uh, um, I do carry a USB with me, but I only use it to store files. I don't use it, yeah. you know, like uh, paperwork, documents, pictures, or I want to share with someone. Sometimes it's just easier to say, here's a USB with all the pictures. <laughs> Have fun, <laughs> you know, type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the smaller ones are cheap enough. You can just give them to yeah. the person. I don't need it back. It. <laughs> I keep it. Right. I think the smallest USB stick I ever got was at a conference somewhere they – handed some documentation for something on this USB stick. And when I opened it up, it was 64 megabytes. How did we live with this? What can you, I know, I know. I think my first hard drive was that big, 64 meg. Um, (laughs) I had a hard drive that was 10 meg. What are you talking about? Oh, that's right. I do remember the 10 meg hard drive. Uh, Uh, We're too old, Bill. (laughs) Hey, I'm, uh, I'm just, for us old timers, see if this brings back memories of all this. It is DOS, then you mm-hmm. had to install Windows 3.1, then you had 3.11, and they were separate. And you had to do some, uh, yeah, remember those days? 
I do. Uh, yeah, so. Back in the Stone Age. And DOS, DOS 6.0, and then you had to go to 6.22 or something. And the Windows, certain version of Windows wouldn't run on the older version of DOS, so you had to get the updated version. I mean, oh, God. Yeah, and, uh, cause, but for those that didn't have the joy of installing just DOS, DOS stands for Disk Operating System. <laughs> just so you know. So when next time someone says, what's DOS stand for? Now you know. It was a special program that just booted your computer, is what it was. <laughs> so you could install yeah. the operating system. It was an operating system. It would do all the low-level stuff. I know there's some people who say, I'll never leave DOS. DOS can, I can do everything in DOS. I kind of think of it like, you know, people, the, the ones that refuse to have any graphical user interface on their Linux. I'm only a text-based, you know, that's, that's, it seems that it was back in DOS too, but you would install DOS and then you had to make sure that the windows that you had, now this is before I even knew about Linux, <laughs> um, would, you know, like you said, was the correct DOS. And then wasn't there a, I think that IBM had their own, or, or I know there was also one called, uh, I actually run it a long time ago, o- OS2 Warp. From IBM? Yes, that one, yeah, that was from IBM. That was oh, uh, yeah. a whole different program. Yeah, a whole different, yeah. and it didn't work in with certain um, uh, uh, accessories. Uh, I remember installing OS2 and uh, warp, you know, it was warp speed. The only problem is it didn't support the wind modem. And for those that don't mm-hmm. know what a wind modem is, you have to, it was uh, where it was a cheap version of a modem that required windows to make it work. That now we were talking, we're now we're talking about the dial days. Um, so I, anyway, sorry, n- n- uh, nostalgia kicked in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we could go on and on and on, but we won't. So no, we'll, no. we'll spare everyone that. All right, and not the last voicemail from Sean, but the second last one. It's a one more thing kind of thing, uh-huh. and uh, let's listen to that. The last thing that I'd like to request is you guys were mentioning how you use Discord these days to record your podcast. Well, uh, I have my own podcast, ASO Radio or ASO Radio. It's about Japanese animations and uh, comics and video games from Japan. And um, we used to use um, uh, Gizmo 5, but then Google bought it and killed it because they just wanted the back-end infrastructure, I guess. And uh, I've been looking for a good client that lets me record um, multi-party conversations like you, uh, Larry, and Bill have, right? So if um, you could, I'd appreciate you letting me know what you use to record your conversations. Like, does Discord have a built-in feature for recording the audio? Or are you recording the audio a different way with some other software? I noticed that Puppy Linux has a SIP, S-I-P, client. Um, and Gizmo 5 was also SIP, like Akiga.net is SIP. 
And so I was thinking of using this puppy sip client because apparently it has built-in recording functionality. I also wrote a command line script though to record all of the pulse audio audio streams to record the input and output streams. However, I'm not really too sure of uh, what's the best option, I guess. So if you have uh, recommendations for SIP clients or things that can record audio, I'd really appreciate that. And I look forward to uh, hearing what you guys have to say. Thanks and goodbye. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've got to remember to put a link to Sean's uh, podcast on our uh, you know, in our show notes so that people can go listen to that if they want to. Um, yeah, so we'll do that. And with, uh, with that in mind, uh, basically, Sean, we don't use Discord to do our recording, uh, although we could. Most of the video conferencing software and most audio conferencing has switched over to video conferencing as well these days but a lot of those tools have the ability to record typically you end up with one big file with everybody's voice on there so it's difficult to edit if somebody has stuff going on in the background uh, you can't just flat out cut that section out because you're cutting out the person who's speaking because it's all one big audio file. Uh, so we don't use Discord. We don't use the video conferencing software to do that because of that kind of thing. And I know things are progressing along with some of the video conference software that actually split uh, speakers out into different uh, audio files. And if that ever gets to be something that has a lot of polish and provides some advantages over the way we do it, we might consider using that. But the way we record is we use Discord for Bill and I to hear each other and have a conversation, but we don't record on that. We record on our own computer hard drives using Audacity as the recording software. And then Bill puts his file in a cloud location that I go and pull down. So I have both his recording and my recording on my computer and then I use Audacity to edit the two together in separate WAV files or separate audio files or separate audio tracks and uh, then when I save them or export them, I export them as a single audio track mp3 file and an AUG file and post those to uh, Internet Archive and point our um, point our feed to the recordings there. So that's the behind the scenes on how we do the recording. And that seems to be the most efficient and effective way to do it, quite frankly. And one of the uh, features that we both use on Audacity that is that Audacity lets you save the file as an AUG, an MP3. I think you can save it as a wave file and there's several others i think a flat does that flat too i always I save mine as aug but you can yeah. tell it what quality level you want it to save it at but with some of these other one uh, other uh if we were using discord to record it there's only a limited amount of uh options so we it gives us a little more flexibility especially when we're, we want to uh up the quality or <laughs> or 
uh, or make it uh, uh, not quite as high fidelity. Because at one time, Larry, remember we used to, uh, you used to uh, have a low bandwidth version. Yes. And you yep. and you would have to save at a lower uh, rate to, to make it fit. What was it, 64K? Was that it? It was 64K, and Internet Archive generates that automatically now. Oh. So no, you don't all do I work. would have to do, I don't do it this way, but I could just upload the MP3 and upload the AUG, and the Internet Archive generates a 64 kilobit version that uh, – would be acceptable. It wouldn't have all the, you know, the the album art and the other stuff that goes along with a normal MP3. But uh, which is why I don't do it that way. I upload a 64 kilobit version that has uh, the artwork in it, mm-hmm. and that. And so I still provide that. So I actually export three files. But oh, okay. You know, it's it's one extra click. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, so um, our last message from voicemail message from Sean was actually recorded mm, sometime after his series that we've just reviewed. And this is specifically for Bill. Uh, here you go. Okay. Aloha from Utah. Hello, Bill and Bill. This message is for Bill. Bill. I was wondering, have you tried the Qubit Torrent client? It's a very good uh, BitTorrent client, and it's cross-platform with Linux, Windows, and other OSs. It's my favorite BitTorrent client and has been for the last few years, so I recommend that everybody give that one a try. Next, Bill, I was wondering, since you have to use Windows at work, and I don't mean X-Windows, have you considered or would your workplace allow you to use an alternative shell like OpenShell so you could avoid some of the Windows annoyances, or is that not an option? Oh, by the way, uh, based on your recent podcast episode, I felt I should call in and say that hard disk drives do not use needles to read their magnetic platters. They use magnetic heads that have mag- uh, metallic arms that are suspended in a low friction gas to spin at thousands of rotations per second, no, per minute, just above the surface of the platters to read them. So needles would probably be a really bad idea for your data. If you keep this up, Bill, Larry might have to cut your pay in half. And you know, Half of zero is going to be a lot less, so keep that in mind. I mean, uh, this is NZ17 saying aloha from Utah. All right. So have you used Qubit Torrent? Uh, No, I didn't even know uh, about Qubit, but I am going to check it out, that's for sure. Since it's cross-platform, yeah, that's definitely coming handy. Yeah, we'll have to go find a link to that and put it in the show notes. And then he was, uh, he was saying, uh, he was wondering, since I, uh, have to use Windows at work, and, and he doesn't mean <laughs> X Windows, that's funny. Uh, 
have a consider would would my workplace allow me to use an alternative shell like open shell so I could avoid some of the uh windows annoyances or or is that not an option uh that's not an option yeah I work for a healthcare facility who has very strict uh internet um policies and computer policies everything has to be run through IT I'm not even allowed to uh I don't think I can it's locked down where IT pushes out all the updates they control what uh what you do it has to be HIPAA compliant uh and HIPAA is uh has a bunch of stipulations for patient privacy and stuff like that and basic healthcare information. So anything that they, it's on the computer, that's what you're allowed to use and you're not allowed to muck with it. They don't even want you to turn it off unless they tell you to. So yeah, they are very strict. I know um, some workplaces might allow you, but not in a healthcare. Now, does what about you, Larry? Would they let you do you use a different shell, or is they pretty strict on you guys, too? I haven't tried, because if I want to use a Linux shell, I just open my own personal computer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, since I work from home, it's not like I have to bring my personal computer into work in an office somewhere. So that's not an issue. Um, I will uh, let the company have whatever rules they want to have. And I'll use the the computer that they provide me in the way that they suggest. Uh, and the they they do though allow us to install certain utilities if we need them to uh, ensure that our home office works properly. So, for example, uh, they provide a VPN with um, a workaround so that it's probably not a workaround. It's probably, I don't know a lot about how VPNs work, but uh, it allows me to connect even when the VPN is connected to my home printer so that I don't have to worry about printing, uh, getting off the VPN to, to print something and then go back on the VPN to access anything from the company. It used to be that way, but they figure a way around that. And now I'm able to do that. And I use um, Synergy and Barrier uh, to be able to use a single keyboard and mouse so that I can, uh, from that single keyboard and mouse, move between my personal computer screens and my work computer screens. Uh, and it's, it's just one like one big multi-monitor computer to me. When I want to use Linux, I move the mouse over to the Linux monitor. And when I want to use the operating system for work, which happens to be Mac, uh, I just move the mouse over to that screen, and away we go. Yeah. So he also mentioned something. Uh, I don't think I said this, but he seems he seems to think I said that the hard drives use needles to read their magnetic platters. And... um. I know they don't. They use magnetic heads to read the platters. So I don't know uh, where that come from. But if I did, I, that really is a uh, old man men, um, uh, mental block there. But yeah, 
unless we were talking about rec- vinyl records, which I was, I've had before, but no. that could be. Yeah, you may have been making a, a parallel to the way oh, the vinyl that could be. Were, yeah, but you know, I, I know where that, the player works. But yes, you know, Larry has been talking about cutting my salary again f- because of all the high inflation. So, Larry, uh, Sean says that you should go ahead and cut my uh, salary in half. Yeah, it, it 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 was an honest mistake, Bill. So. We'll we'll keep your salary the same as mine. We'll we'll keep them both at zero, and uh, we won't worry about cutting salaries for you know until <laughs> until uh, inflation takes over so much that uh, cutting a zero based salary in half will actually have an impact on <laughs> on our non non not for any sort of money business. <laughs> so I just saw us um, just saw. That, uh, it looks like, uh, uh, NZ17 or, uh, Sh- uh, Sean is in Utah. You know, this October, I'm planning to go to Moab, Utah. So, ah, okay. Hey, if you have any, I see all the colorful rocks. Yeah. And, uh, hey guys, if you have any great places, uh, yes, I'm selfishly plugging this. Please uh, send them to me so while I'm down in Moab, I know I see some cool stuff. Okay. Moving right along. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Sean. Besides Sean's uh, voicemails, we actually have two emails as well. First one is from George from Tulsa who commented, on our episode 443, uh, and he refers to it as bottle of wine, bottle of wine regarding antivirus. He says, at 18 minutes and 56 seconds, Bill says, you shouldn't have any real issues because like Windows EXE file isn't going to do anything on your Linux. And George writes, unless you've installed wine. He also references minute marker 40 minutes and 44 seconds. We mentioned Phil on Gaming and Lutris. It says, I downloaded pre-installed packages with .exe files. And George's comment is, there was a good chance Phil's .exe games would run because per the Lutris FAQ, Lutris uses Wine to run Windows.exe files on Lutris. And he provides a link to an FAQ. Uh, he continues, I've used Wine to run commercial Windows software that's not listed on Wine's supported applications. That's why I presume someone could craft a malware.exe designed to run in Lutris via Lutris slash Wine. Wine is not sandboxed, so a malware application running as an EXE in, in Wine could affect not just the Wine instance, but the system itself. It is probably not a great risk, but it is a risk. The application Sandwine can be used to mitigate the risk. It is free and open source. Here's a link. Uh, And we'll have that in the show notes, of course. Back to the antivirus scanning an EXE file before running it in Wine or anywhere for that matter might identify if it is malware. That depends on whether it is in the industry standard database of known malware signatures on which ClamAV relies. The Arch Wiki offers a useful guide to how to use ClamAV as well as how to add more malware signature sources to your installation. And 
George provides a link to that ArchWiki guide, and we'll include that in the show notes too. So I think we knew all that, Bill. We just didn't mention it. Yeah, it's highly unlikely that it would happen, but he is right. There is a chance it could, so I stand corrected. I will correct and say it's highly unlikely, but it could happen. How's that? (laughs) Yeah, um, if you think about it, someone would have to, because Windows and Linux are two different operating systems. They work very differently from one another, which is one of the reasons why natively EXE files won't run on uh, Linux unless you have something like Wine or Lutris to make them, allow them to run. Uh, because of that, somebody who would want to infect a Linux system in this way would have to write some soft, some malware for Windows that's an EXE file that then goes and launches some malware that they would have to write to infect the Linux system to be able to go and infect Linux with whatever it is they want to do. There are easier ways for somebody to write malware to go and get much more valuable information from corporate Windows installations. <laughs> uh, and the fa- you know the fact that there are so many steps in that and so little payoff, uh, I don't think the risk is very large at all, as you said, Bill. But yeah, like I said, to give him his due, George is right. It can ha- It could happen. Uh, George, good catch. Yep. All right. Yeah. So- Technically, I could study up on Python and high-level computer language programming and begin a career to be a programmer, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's highly <All> right. unlikely. <laughs> So our next email comes from Phil, who asks about syncing with Google Drive. He says, Hi, Bill and Larry. Greetings from replaceable sub-minion Phil in Iowa. I am running uh, Pop OS and can't find a way to sync my home directory with Google Drive. I tried two programs and both weren't able to pass Google's authentication measures and therefore couldn't sign in. Any help would be appreciated. Thanks, Phil. I know uh, from experience, I don't know if it's been updated or whatever, but I was never able to really get uh, Google Drive to work nicely with Linux. So, uh I don't know how that would... I'd have to look into it and see if anything's uh, available or if they've updated it. Uh, what do you, you got any suggestions? I'm worthless on this one. Well, I've run across a few. I haven't tried out any of them. Uh, what I did do, though, is I sent Phil a link that I'll include in the show notes to uh, some Linux applications that purport to provide a way to sync to Google Drive. And like I said, I'll include it in the show notes. Haven't tried any of them, but uh, my comment was, have you tried any of these or were the ones you tried on this list? And, uh, you know, maybe there are some on there. Lots of different offerings out there. Can't vouch for any of them because I haven't tried them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. I'll, I'll, look into it and see if 
anything comes to the forefront, but right now I have no clue why or how you would do that with, but I'm sure there's a way. Yep. And if anybody in our listening audience, if any of you know um, and have had experience with and like a solution that you're using, let us know and give us uh, the pros and cons. Uh, We'd be interested in hearing and I'm sure so would Phil. Absolutely. Okay, Larry, I think that's all of it. I think it is. Well, thanks, um, Sean, for making our work here easy by providing the voicemail. And I'm not sure how long this episode is going to be. (laughs) Just us talking is an hour, so this might be a long one. It may fill in those gaps between, you know, those longer gaps that we have these days between episodes. So uh, you might want to break it up into different pieces and listen to it a little at a time. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Between Bill's job, my job, his new puppy, uh, my new puppies, uh, everything else going on in our lives, uh, we have been fortunate to be able to uh, put out a single episode every month. Once in a while, we may squeeze two into a month. Uh, we may get back to that sometime in the future, but I That's don't see that happening short term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep putting out episodes though, as we can get them done. But yeah. <laughs> as, as we've said, this is not a for profit, uh, uh, podcast that has sponsors to, uh, uh, appease. So, uh, we get this done as we can. And, you know, I can safely say, and I, and I think Larry will agree, you'll never have to worry about listening to ads or, or sponsors because yeah. um, we just do it because we love Linux and we want to share that. But um, anyway, uh, we will try to get them a little more often, but right now we're coming, you know, we're getting ready to come into the busy holiday period and uh so and with everything uh larry has two of things uh, little puppies take care of i only have one so hey i know i don't know how he's doing it (laughs) one's enough for me (laughs) but uh, we will we're not we're not giving up we're just uh just recording when we can sometimes we're both like uh, I just can't record. I've got to go yeah, insert yeah. reasons. Sleep. <laughs> Sleep is good. Or, yes. uh, or sick or, oh, hold on. Uh, you probably haven't heard anything from the puppies. I, I found out, Larry, that just give them treats and they go into, uh, treat, uh, comas for a little bit. So they're over here sleeping away and I'm like, wow. That's <laughs> what a revelation. <laughs> yeah. So you just said you only have one new puppy, but you've got two dogs. One is a little older than a puppy, but yeah. uh, still behaves like one from time to time, right? From time to time. But he, I didn't realize how much he had grown up until uh, I had gotten my, my new puppy's name's Cosmo. And so when Cosmo come along, I was like, Puppies are a lot of work because they, (laughs) they don't, they don't understand the rules of the house. And so I've had to 
keep a close eye on him because he will chew a cord or he'll, uh, if you don't let him out when he wants to go out to go to the bathroom, he sometimes doesn't want to wait. So, yes, my bigger dog, his name is Bear, um, is a, um, has come a long way. And because I think Larry remembers, um, he was kind of noisy at the beginning. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now he knows. And he also not- was chewing on everything. I know. But I, I keep swearing. I said, this is my last one. <laughs> but no. <laughs> anyway. No, that doesn't happen. It doesn't we'll continue happen. our puppy review on a future episode. <laughs> and, uh, but, <laughs> but for now, um, I think we, uh, we have another episode coming up. Uh, it will probably be one in our Linux experience, uh, uh f- flavor. Um, but we don't have a specific topic at this point. Uh, we will get you one though. And until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We provide the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.